Hey everyone and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker. Just kidding, I'm totally fine. I'm Colin Parker, your other host on this show. <laughs> We're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene or day by day until the end of time. James, I'm feeling great. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, although I feel like I was, um, I don't really know how I got into this room. I'm not mm. really sure like how I got here. I, uh, but I'm sure that there will be a device on the floor that will explain everything. That's a teaser. Yep. That's a retease. Um, th- it's a retease, <sighs> patented retease, um, of a thing you're about to hear. It's a hear tease. Ooh, okay. That's neither here nor there. Um, so we are going through, I'm going to get, this is a business James, because this is going yeah. to be a, 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 a long one, uh, synopsis wise. Um, we're Can I just through... say, I love that we say that about every single one of these at this point. Yeah. Like yeah. every single thing that we've done for Agent Carter, I think has been no less than 15 minutes of us talking about. I, I, I do think that the shortest synopsis we've done has been maybe like eight or nine minutes. The one I'm doing right now for uh episode for the fourth episode is basically a, a, like a, you know, it's three like vignettes uh, post adventure. That was a pretty short synopsis, but like, okay, cool. It's because the episode would like encompassed, you know, 12 minutes of screen time or something like, right. If that, um, okay. So we are watching agent Carter, uh, season two, episode seven, uh, starting at 39, 31 and going on through to the end of the episode and then rolling right into agent Carter season two, episode eight, but you're going to skip to uh, two minutes and 38 seconds because it starts with a thing that we've already seen. Because Ooh. it starts with a flashback that takes place in season one. We've already covered it. Um, and so you're going to uh, go from 2.38 and end at 35.05. And here is what happens. In the morning, Daniel shows up to work, obviously injured, but determined not to let on that he got the message of Masters sending the men to beat him up. After some back-and-forth posturing, Masters tells Daniel that he will be running SSR LA until Daniel is back on his feet. Figuratively. Peggy calls to update Sousa, but Masters answers instead. Peggy hangs up without saying anything and rejoins Jarvis, who is still waiting for Anna to get out of surgery. She quietly holds his hand. That's the end of... Episode 7, we go into episode 8. After she is out of surgery, Jarvis stays with her in her recovery room. He desperately attempts to tune into Benny Goodman to keep their schedule, but can only find Groucho Marx, so he smashes the radio. She consoles him. (laughs) I mean, it's a tragic moment, but like that is truly very funny when he does that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She consoles him and then leaves to go get one of Howard's radios and a change of clothes slash toiletries for Jarvis, who looks bad he looks like, rough like he's such good makeup. kudos to the to the yeah to the makeup yeah. and costuming and, and everything because they and to his acting because he looks he looks colin not unlike how you looked in the last episode that we recorded which is just like haggard and last leg sort of deal yeah like on death's door a little bit yeah oh maybe You've that's not still, still handsome and still charming it's just right let's get it let's get a razor to that you guy's look rough yeah face. yeah exactly Wilkes wakes up and finds that Frost has been observing him. She suggests that they work together to figure out the properties of zero matter. He pushes back pretty hard on that idea. Then she asks him if he hears the voice in his head and he indicates that he does. 
Carter arrives at the Stark estate to find Sousa worriedly examining the bloodstain on the ground. They catch each other up on the previous night's events. He says that Masters isn't going to stop until he has the uranium rods. She replies that they should give them to him. He's like, what? But don't worry. She doesn't mean that, like, exactly. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. She clarifies that she wants Whitney Frost to think that they're going to give up the uranium, give up the uranium, but she doesn't know how to make contact. Sousa suggests getting in touch with Manfredi. They visit Manfredi's restaurant and finally pull his attention away from the gravy he's cooking for his grandma. Over in London, Jack pretends to be drunk to secure a heavily redacted file. Using a device to read through the redactions, he sees information about a massacre orchestrated by a, quote, M. Carter of the SOE. He smiles because he's finally found something to take down Margaret Peggy Carter. Susan and Carter blackmail Manfredi into delivering a message to Frost that they want to exchange the uranium, ro- the uranium rods for Wilkes. Uranium when- Sorry. Oh, I can't <laughs> sing. Wow. Holy shit. When Manfredi arrives at the warehouse, she is trying to train Wilkes in how to use the zero matter powers. When he tells her about the exchange, she agrees. Anna wakes up, and Jarvis is overjoyed. It's a very, very cute scene. But then the doctor tells him, out of her earshot because patriarchy, that her injuries will prevent her from ever having a child. Jarvis tells the doctor that he will break the news to Anna. He pretends like nothing is wrong, quite convincingly, I thought, but her face says that she knows differently. Samberly has made up some fake uranium that they're going to use to fool Frost. Peggy and Sousa and Carter are planning to go when Jarvis shows up. With rage in his eyes, Jarvis informs Carter that he will be going on the mission to make sure Whitney Frost pays for shooting Anna. Before they've resolved this, they hear a clicking that is Howard's tele- Howard Stark's telex. Jarvis thinks that Stark has sent a code, but Samberly realizes it's not a code, but rather design specs. Samberly isn't sure what it does. What? It's just very funny because it technically is code, but the code is right. for blueprints. Right, exactly. Which is just so funny. He's like, it's not code. It's like, it's my, my it guy. Is. <laughs> it is. Like, come on. <laughs> um, actually, it's not. Samberly isn't sure what it does. He's the most I'm actually character on this television. Oh, for sure. Uh, it uses gamma radiation to fire a pulse of high energy photons. He speculates that it would eliminate zero matter. Carter and Sousa tell him to build it as fast as possible. Jarvis points out that they are in need of a driver. As they go to leave, they discover Jack Thompson waiting for them in a room near the door. He asks to speak to Peggy alone and shows her what he has on her from June of 1944. He won't turn her in for her war crimes if she comes back with him to NYC. She tells him that it's awfully convenient that Masters told Thompson to find something on Carter, and then he found the ideal file, but Thompson doesn't have any doubts about the veracity of the file. Until he almost immediately does. Peggy and Sousa show up at the warehouse for the exchange, and everything appears to be going fine until a goon drops the uranium, and they roll harmlessly out of the case, revealing them to be fakes. The uranium rods that aren't uranium, the goon, no goons roll out of anything and are fakes. Sure. That was a confusing way I wrote that. Jarvis races the truck away, and Whitney and Joe give chase. It's weird that I called him Joe. That's Manfredi. Peggy tells Jason about Howard's gamma cannon, and he is alarmed because of how dangerous gamma rays are. Sousa and Carter are distracted by how Whitney and Manfredi are keeping a safe distance from the truck instead of easily overtaking it. Suddenly, they hear a gun being cocked. It's Wilkes! He demands to know where the rods are. Uh, you know how they call guns rods yeah. in like film war? Yeah. Carter says that they're not going to tell, even as he points a shotgun at her head. 
He appeals to Sousa's feelings for her. It works. Sousa tells Wilkes that the rods are in the wall safe at the SSR lab. With the information gained, Wilkes apologizes and phases through the back door of the truck. Sousa and Carter throw open the back doors of the truck to see Wilkes getting into Frost and Manfredi's car. Back at the SSR office, Masters looks over the redacted file and congratulates Jack on the contents, but Jack is not feeling so sure anymore. Masters tries to convince Thompson, but before Thompson can make his case about Peggy, Whitney Frost calls to tell Masters where the rods are. Masters asks Jack to leave for a moment. Jack listens in on another phone because he's a spy, and why wouldn't you have a secure line? That's, that's neither here nor there. Confirming that Masters is working for Frost. Masters comes into the lab and goes for the safe, but Thompson steps out of the shadows to confront him. He shows his weapon, and as Masters says he's sorry that this is what Thompson has and Masters says he's sorry that this is what Thompson has decided to do. When Sousa and Carter get to the lab, they find Thompson standing there confused. As Thompson and Carter try to j- jog Thompson's memory, Sousa finds the memory inhibitor that Peggy previously used on Hugh Jones over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. They try to get him to go through the last bits he remembers. They walk into the bullpen and find coordinates that Thompson heard Frost tell Masters. Jack gets ready to go with the team, but Sousa tells Thompson that he maybe sh- that maybe he should stay in case Masters comes back. It's obvious to everyone that Sousa doesn't trust Jack. Jack convinces them to trust him and goes to leave. Sousa stops Peggy at the door to make sure that she's not going to hesitate if it comes to shooting Wilkes. He says they need to be dispassionate on the mission. She counters that Sousa wasn't particularly dispassionate when he gave up the location of the uranium to Wilkes. Before they move out, Jarvis entrusts Rose to keep Anna safe. He gives her a number of beloved-slash-comforting items, as well as a tied-up envelope that takes Rose aback. And with that, the team heads out to recover the uranium rods and use the gamma cannon if necessary. Okay, first things first. I want to point out that so many issues with Jack Thompson in this season, right? You're like, you're regressing so far back and potentially becoming worse, right? And yet, when they're talking about how he couldn't let him, sorry, he couldn't, let uh, me try this again. Sousa couldn't let Wilkes shoot Carter. Right. And he's like, would you have let him shoot me? And she's like, yeah, it's to keep these things secret. Yes, of course. Right. And so they're getting into that. When Thompson peeks his head back around the corner, goes, hey, for what it's worth, I would let him shoot both of you. Yeah. I think he says like, blow both of you away or something. I have, like it, I have it written down here. Yeah. What's the exact If line? it makes a difference, I'd have let them, him. If it makes a difference, I'd have let him blow you both away. That's it, yeah. And he's like, let's go. Like, he's, he says it almost as like a, hey, let's, we're But it's we're also said in a way of like, see, you can trust me. And it's like also like a thing where like, like yeah, we can, mm, you know, hang on. There is still something about that sentence that somehow actually is not comforting. Um, Jack's, Jack's whole thing, if he was just regressing, I would almost be fine with it because it's the corruption of a of a of a person who's trying who has ambitions of of power and whatever he keeps wishing washing back and forth over these two seasons of like he's the worst and then oh wait maybe he's not so bad oh nope he's still the worst oh wait maybe he's and like back and forth and back and forth which is which plays really hard on this podcaster's heart who wants right. the redemption of all the villains all the time and keeps getting betrayed. Well, it's tough the, because yeah. like 
I, I, I totally agree with you because to me, what it almost feels like is they shouldn't have given him a redemption in season one if they're going to do this in season two. Right. Right. Because, you know, again, he's getting worse and worse and worse. Although then there are times where he kind of pushes back against Vernon and stuff like that. So then you're like, right. Okay. Now we're starting to have the redemption. Right. So it is a little bit of a, okay, listen, not to lean in on a joke that was happening before we recorded, but it is a little bit of the Tom DeLonge in Blink-22 discussion that you and I have had off air before. Right. Where it's like the guy's, Come and gone, come and gone, come and gone, right? He's, he, well, okay, maybe not that many times, but he's left the band twice. Right. And so there is, I think, a way to still be legitimately concerned at this point to be like, listen, am I excited? And like, will I listen to the stuff that they put out? Of course, I'm going to be stoked to, you know, to get that, you know, that CD or whatever, however I choose to, um, you know, get that album uh-huh. on like midnight, right? Day one, like yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be sure. doing that, right? But like, is there still a bit of me that's like, in two years, are they going to be together? Right. You know, there is that bit of me, right? And so that's what this does to me, right? Which is, I go, but like in one episode, are we still going to be going, thank God Jack is, you know, fixing stuff? Or are we going to be going, God damn it, Jack. Come on, man. It's the boy right. who cried wolf. It's like, I, I'm not going to trust you ever, Jack. Right. If you keep doing this sort of stuff. Yeah. Also, um. Just for my sake, uh, when when when's the uh, war crimes that Peggy did? By the way, again, can you uh, t- June of nineteen forty four. Oh, June of nineteen forty four. Huh. Okay. Um, that's not there's a thing cool. on The Simpsons that I can't think of the specifics of why it's happening. It's in a debate. It's Krabappel and Skinner at a PTA meeting. Okay. And uh, and it's like, come on, don't you want to? Uh, don't you want, you know, the benefits that we're deserving? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, the benefits, benefits, oh, yeah, yeah, And then Scare's like, it's going to cost you. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, the money, Ooh, yeah, yeah, right, right. It's going to cost. And she's like, come on. Oh, yeah, right, the benefits, okay. And he just, like, does his, like, like the the finger, mm, like, tip. Yeah. He's like, oh, He's right, brilliant. the money, right, the money, money. Like, the crowd keeps being completely swayed by more and more minimal arguments. And right. that's Jack Thompson. He's like, oh, right, the integrity, the integrity. Oh, God, the corruption, the corruption, the corruption. It almost feels as though, like, maybe if we'd had just a slightly bigger budget for Mm -hmm. Agent Carter and maybe a couple extra episodes to a season, we could have developed another character that would be playing this foil. Yeah. You know, because, like, it feels, it also feels so weird. But also, at the same time, it also makes sense because, like, okay, consider this. There's two other. There's another thing to consider here, and I realize that this is getting ahead of part of this, the the story here, right? But okay. this is also really close to Winter Soldier time, mm-hmm. and talking about you know, oh, something's been happening in Shield for way longer than you think, right? This you know this like corruption, right? But they also talk about that in this, right? Like when they're yeah. like, there's corruption in the SSR, and you don't realize how you know how deep it goes, right? Right. And so like we're kind of painting that now right we're starting that thread now because vernon is sort of planting those seeds i don't believe he is hydra right you know but like i think that he's sort of opening a door on accident yep like Mm -hmm. it's like leaving a brick in the on the roof you know door to get back in from your smoke break and not realizing that you're letting in a murderer kind of thing you know right no idea where that reference is no yeah he's he's weakening the he's weakening weakening the, the defenses you know yeah and that's why Stark should have built them. But what's happening, though, is that, like, you know, uh, 
it's also that thing of again like the corruption and like how they these things work right like thompson whether legitimately or not you know gets this position but it's also exactly what we talked about in an, in an episode two episodes ago where it also almost feels like thompson thinks that he is smart enough to play both sides mm-hmm. and i think that thompson thinks that he has something to prove and that he can do it and jarvis's words of like you are beyond your depth and these waters are filled with sharks. This is a guy who is in Jaws swimming yep. into the ocean with a harpoon gun going, I don't need a bigger boat. Right. And that's what I feel like that's what I'm witnessing right now. I agree. Now. I agree. Absolutely. And like you get the idea that, you know, Whitney Frost being like, you would make a great movie star. I wish I could put you in one of my pictures. She sees that he is mostly a handsome face. And like cunning is not really where he's coming from, right? Because oh, I mean, like I just need you know I need a I need a uh, you know a cute a cute guy to play opposite me. What's so funny about that is I feel like that was a moment where he should have seen what was happening, yeah. right? And what I mean by that is is that I think in that moment Whitney sort of plays everyone, right? Yep. She she pits herself sort of against Chadwick because yep. he's done kind of gross things to women and stuff like that recently. Yeah. With other um, parts of his anatomy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Dirty Gross's. other parts of his body. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, but then also like Vernon thinks that this is a guy that he can, you know, manipulate, but also like bring into the fold. Right. right. So Vernon believes that there's something there. Thompson believes he's something there. And I think that she reads him like a book on the, yep. the first moment. And she's like, you're nobody. And like, I don't see you as being someone who's smart enough to do this. But at the time, right, uh, Masters has no clue that she's this brilliant and she's powerful. So right. like, he's kind of like, okay, what's that deal all about? Right? Yeah. But really, she's already like, if, if this is chess, she's already playing the next game. Right. Yeah. You know? They're not even on the same chessboard as her. She looks point. up and she's like, oh, hey, welcome. You finally got here. Cool. Pretty much. She's yeah. like, I checkmated you um, two weeks ago, by the way. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he's like, I haven't even moved. She's like, yes, I know. But you're going to move uh, this night here, that, and the, that pawn's going to go. You're going to take on D5. You know, it's like, whoa, stop. What? You know? Yeah. Uh, and she's like, anyway, did I get any of that wrong? And then he's like, shit, <laughs> that is all the Damn. <laughs> And she's like, yeah. She goes, Thompson, I know you would castle. Not castle. Yeah. That's what it's called, right? Castling? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Castling, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's um, the rook. Okay, sorry. In my head, yeah. I was like, it's like, no, that's the... And I was like, no, but it, the rook yeah. looks like a castle, and that's why it's called... Okay. Right. Anyway. Um, uh, so, I I guess... I have some notes. I've done some... I've done a little bit of research. Okay. Um, But before I get into any of that... Okay. I want to talk about Nono Manfredi. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love this her. is uh, Manfredi's grandma, and she is uh, of of the characters in this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're covering, she's so knows she like she is the characterization of understands the assignment. Yes. She is Italian grandmother. She's playing opposite Ken Marino perfectly. There, I wrote down a line. Um, she says. Uh, Manfredi says, oh, she likes you talking to Sousa because she's right. given him a plate of, of pasta. Mm-hmm. And then Cutter's like, I don't have any pasta. 
And uh, Manfredi says, she thinks you're the devil. The devil. Cut to Nona. Mm-hmm. She says, Malocchio. And like spits mm-hmm. like a like a superstitious spit. Oh, she thinks you're the devil. Cut to superstitious Italian old woman. Oh, Nona chef's kiss. and uh, Manfredi, like that chemistry in that scene. Okay, yeah. okay, which we didn't really address this. I mean, we we did, but like it's it's hard to to describe when they arrive at the restaurant. Yeah, right. They they're like they're like you know they're showing up for lunch, quote unquote, and they're like like we're closed, right? And they're like, yeah. well, we were looking for a plate of spaghetti, and it goes, oh, too bad, we only serve steak, right? And it's like you know this like we're going this back and forth, and they cut to this full length scene. Of the two yeah. of them. And like it again, it is so Italian family, right? It is so like nothing's ever good enough for you, yeah. you know. But also at the same time, you know they love each other, even though they're like quote unquote driving each other nuts. But that's also a yeah. quote, it's like it's more playful than anything, really. Yeah. You know. But they're cooking and they're talking and like of course there's there's opera playing, so it's like loud right. Italian opera, and like so they don't hear anything. And like just on the other side of a thin panel of glass. There's this huge fight, you know, breaking out. Yeah. And his goons are getting their asses kicked. But like, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter because he's not gonna pay them any attention. He's spending right. time with Nona. Absolutely. And oh, I think so we sweet. talked about it. Do we talk about it in the last episode too, I think, maybe, where it's like Oh no, no, no. I talked about this with my mom. Sorry, is what it was. Um, what I think is incredible about Italian uh, like men, uh, not to pat myself self on the back here necessarily, but like spe- specifically though, like in like the 1940s and like maybe a little bit earlier and stuff like that, like specifically like mafia, mafioso Italian men. So I guess not patting myself on the back, um, FBI. Uh, I think that they are the definition of like the opposite rather of toxic masculinity. Yes. Because in, you know, in so many other properties, right, if you were like, I got to go do something for my grandmother, right, or to do something for my mother, right, like, people would be like, oh, mama's boy, like, they would make fun of it, like, being, like, spending too much time with, like, a woman, like, figure, like, being sort of, like, weak, being feminine, right, there's a lot of, like, you know, stuff to make fun of, quote, unquote, right, I'm not saying that you should, I'm just saying that's, you know, but, like, in this, it is like a thing of you can see in the the way the men handle things and everything like that, like they respect other people's nonas and mothers, you know. And it's yeah. like, you know, when uh like, you know, they respect their mothers and like their grandmothers and stuff like that. And like it is so precious to then see like, you know, none of these men would dare question Nona or or, you know, you wouldn't be like you know, as one of his goons, you wouldn't be like, well, if you had spent less time talking to Nona, you you would have seen this issue. You would never say that to someone because you wouldn't say that about your own grandmother, you know? Right. So I'm kind of, you know, going around in circles a little bit here, but like that is such a, such a strong, good thing to me. And like, it is so refreshing to see like, you know, something that is based in the 1940s and like not having it be just like Every woman is treated like garbage, you know, right. that they're like, act like that he's sitting here just with nothing but respect for his grandmother. I mean, across the board, what we see of Joe Manfredi on this. Oh, my God. So true. Yes. He respects women. Joe. OK, we'll, we'll come back to, to 
to Manfredi with women in a second, I think. Or, but like, yeah, yeah. The grandmother's chemistry, though. I mean, again, the way she at time. I mean, there's such little dialogue from her at the table, right? And yet, she says possibly the most. Yep. And it's it's so good. Um, and I cannot wait to hear about her IMDb, like Avengers Ensemble. Yeah. Because yeah. she's so good. She's so yeah. good. Fantastic. Yep. So the first thing, the first conflict that happens is Jarvis is trying to tune into Benny Goodman and he's only getting Groucho marks. So I did a quick research on what was Groucho Marx up to in, in 1947. Uh, he was in a movie called Copacabana with Carmen Carmen Miranda. Um, it was sort of post Marx Brothers movies. Groucho still in movies, often with like attractive women. Um, Love Happy is a a movie that I really like that a lot of people don't like that has Marilyn Monroe in it. Um, I think in one of her first roles, uh, he was about to start doing You Bet Your Life, um, which was a game show kind of. It was a you know. Imagine a Groucho Marx game show where he's basically like mostly jokes and then also a little bit of trivia, kind of. Um, sure. So it says the original and best known version because it's been done by actually there's a version on uh, like currently. I don't remember who's hosting it, but it's, you know, one of the five names you'd think of. Um, <laughs> Which one do you think uh, it hosting, is? It's that one. It's that it's 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 not that one. It's that one. Right. Yeah, yeah you got it. You got it. Second. Um with the announcer George, uh, announcer and assistant George Fenneman, the show debuted on ABC Radio on October twenty seventh, nineteen forty seven. Okay, so you so bet I'm your life wasn't it. on the radio yet, right? Uh, and then it moved to CBS Radio in nineteen forty nine, then NBC TV and NBC Radio in nineteen fifty. You could do basically a simultaneous radio and TV cast, right? Like broadcast because a lot of the gags were visual because you know it's Groucho right. so like you have a lot of eyebrow wagging and stuff, but then like you had slight they were slightly different versions from the radio TV but like you could basically have the same events but like maybe cut differently or whatever right um, and then it went on through 1960 so uh, my conclusion from that is Howard Stark it's we right it has to be Howard Stark the influence Groucho Marx to start you bet your life six months earlier or whatever, because for Jarvis to say, to say all I can get is Groucho Marx, you would, re- you would refer, you'd be referring to, you know, Groucho Marx's show. Like, you know, Jay Leno was on the tonight show, but you wouldn't say, I mean, you, you could, but like, if you were saying, oh, I, I was watching Jay Leno the other night, the show is not called Jay Leno. You were just saying I was watching Jay Leno, right. meaning the tonight show. So in order for Jarvis to say, all I can get is Groucho Marx, you bet your life would have to be because, like, he did other radio, like, you know, appearances or whatever. But like, his show that would, you know, if this was 1948, you said Groucho Marx, you'd be talking about your real life. You bet your life. Um, Benny Goodman, I couldn't find any sort of running show because we, you know, we've established that his schedule is, you know, what, ben, you know, dinner at seven, brandy at eight, Benny Goodman at nine, and then go to bed or whatever. Um, actually, it's probably bed at nine, Benny Goodman at eight, dinner at right. anyway, Anyways, I know what you meant. Um, I couldn't find any running program for like 45, 46, 47 that Jarvis would be talking about. So I'm going to assume that either Howard Stark influenced Benny Goodman to to have his own running program, 
Or I could also buy that there's like a almost like a cable access, like because Benny Goodman at, at, in 1947 was a little like kind of like you might see um, like John Fogarty playing a state fair or whatever. Right. Kind of like okay, so he's not like headlining Woodstock. It's like we can easily get access to them, but it's on a more of a local level. So it could have been like a local broadcast sort of regular show. Do you think that maybe this is also a little bit of like a licensing thing just on their front? Like maybe. So like, like a thing of like, there's a lot of different orchestras, but it's like, you know, we want to say that someone has a radio show because that was kind of a constant thing that would happen then. And they go, who's the first person that we can get a license to like for this scene. And they go, Benny Goodman. So they go, all right, Right. Benny Goodman's the, Benny Goodman's right. the act then from now on, you know? And like Benny Goodman is such a touchstone of like, you know what that it sounds like. It is a like. recognizable name. Yeah. I feel like even if you're not a major jazz or, you know, standards really at, at, yeah. of any kind. Swing. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, a fan. I feel like you've probably heard the name Benny Goodman. Yeah. Because it's been in enough things that you kind of go, Benny, uh, maybe, you know, it's reference. Yeah. It's still a touchdown, I think. Yeah. yeah. 1940s jazz reference. Um, it is funny Thanks though. The Gallagher. show debuted on ABC Radio for You Bet Your Life, right. so they could easily use a transcript. That probably is also actually. I bet yeah. you that also leads into it. Right. All right. So let's talk about Telex machines because um, yeah, the synopsis on the MC Wiki says they get a fax, and that's kind of right. But let's talk about Telex machines. So tell Telex, me why it's kind of wrong. Okay. Because it's it that's lim- that limits it to one thing. It's not just a fax. It's okay. Telex served as the forerunner of modern fax, email, and text messaging, both both technically and stylistically. Oh wow! Abbreviated English like C U later L eight R, as used in texting, originated with Telex operators exchanging informal messages in real time. Were they doing like winky faces and stuff like that back then? I don't think I think emojis were a different thing, but like emoticons, you know, U R G R eight, like the letter U, the letter R, G R, and then the number eight for you're great. That's why it's even funnier for them to be like, it's not code. It's like, uh, this says G R eight, and he's like, yeah, it's great. Come on, (laughs) you know, get get wrecked, heart emoji, (laughs) H Stark, yeah. Less than three. Um, tell Samberly uh, to to read the following code out loud, and he Rick rolls him. Um, <laughs> he goes, I don't understand that reference, and then he's like, "But your grandkids are gonna love it. <laughs> your grandkids are gonna weirdly love it, but also hate it. It's a weird thing. It's Time a love hate relationship. Memes are weird. Um, so they became the first texters long before introduction the introduction of mobile phones. So basically, it's it's like. It kind of feels like a little bit of a laser disc thing, where it's like, yeah, it was it a like thing. I am. That's like it, instant it, messaging, isn't it? It it kind of is. It sort of feels like a telegraph, plus a fax machine, plus like what I thought email was gonna be, which was more like instant messenger. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like a thing where it's like, yeah, no, you can do that for sure, but we don't like a Zach Morris phone kind of deal, like where it's like, yeah, that was advanced technology at the time but then it quickly got way better so this looks right outdated because it immediately you know faxes and all that stuff became right so 
next, um, when Peggy and Jarvis and Sousa, no, when Peggy and Sousa uh, walk by to get ready, um, Thompson is sitting there and he says, oh, no, no, it's Peggy and Jarvis and Sousa because he says, well, if it isn't uh, the Three Stooges, hey, Larry yep. and Curly, can I talk to Mo for a second? Yep. Good. Good line. Exactly. Um, I wonder, it does, as, you know, someone who's who's written this kind of thing, you know, for fun or whatever, the amount of time I would have spent being like, okay, but... Which one's which? Who do I... How do you... Yeah. So, but what's really interesting is, this is 1947. Okay. okay? The last Curly film, because he suffered a stroke in 1946, was released in 1946. He had, one, like, January... Like, we're recording this on January 4th for me and for you in nine minutes. No, you're in, you're in, you're on the East Coast. in Maryland. Yeah. 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 We're recording this on, on January 4th, 2023. Um, it like right around now in 1947 was the last Curly movie until yeah. Shemp took over and, uh, uh, Mo and Curly and Shemp were brothers. And Curly also made a cameo because he was basically on set. When they were uh, filming the movie I'm about to talk about, but right. the last one where it was like Larry Curly and Mo was late 1946. So that brings me to the second installment and final installment, maybe uh, so far, but for sure, definitely the last one, but maybe not, but definitely it is of the segment Jack Thompson at the theater. We've witnessed Jack Thompson right. uh, having gone to movie musicals that he only goes if um, can't think of the actress that he said. And so we picture we, we the next movie she was in like that year was like this big, robust, like musical review. And we had a fun time thinking about him going to that. Right. So now let's imagine Jack Thompson at the theater, a big Three Stooges fan. So the week before this episode you know this season takes place yeah the 100th three stooges short had come out wow it was called hold that lion um it was the fifth movie to use the same lion in the short um and that lion was also the lion in the mgm logo yeah from 1934 to 1956 and from 1963 to 1967 colin the amount of time i've spent looking at which lions were used in which years for mgm more than I thought. I have my next line is about Joe Manfredi and his support of Whitney Frost, but I think I want to leave that for a second and just say two my last two notes, and then let's come back to Joe Manfredi's treatment and respect for women. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, Vernon Masters in talking to Jack Thompson about like how can you be sure that this is the you know that this document isn't faked or like doctored in any way to to make Peggy look bad and uh Vernon Master says something that is both like indicative of where America was heading into the Red Scare, Vernon Masters is character, all of the conflicts that Jack Thompson is confronting in these two seasons. So it's, it's a great line and here's what it is. Okay. Jack, what's happened and what's true are two very different things. Oh, yeah. This is an official document. It's true regardless of what happened. <sighs> that is the most governmental. Yeah. And also, hey, listen, I apologize. I'm going to get very briefly political, okay? If that is not exactly what the last, like, six years of politics has been, 
I don't know what else is. You know what I mean? Like that is truly, I mean, genuinely as we, have, Six, I, I mean, mean, well, but I mean like specifically it's gotten so much worse, I think in this regard, like in terms of public, right? There's clearly things that have happened, like let's say like governmental, like uh, uh, cover-ups and stuff like that, right? Sure. Where you have the truth and then you have quote, what happened. Right. Right. I'm talking like, you know, here's a good example. January 6th, right? People who the truth was one person was elected president. Right. To the people on January 6th, what happened was a, you know, uh, a single man stole, quote unquote, which is it stole, in, it, 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 which is a fascinating term for something yeah. that's intangible, uh, a, an entire election. And right. made a completely, you know, false, you know, thing. And and this other person was actually still the president. And so they had to break in to make sure they found the missing votes. Right. Okay. Uh, here's another good example of the truth versus what happened. Um, the pandemic. Mm. People, people who believed that this was a planned thing but then also we're calling it a hoax and that it wasn't real and that it wasn't killing people so like the idea of like what happened versus the truth has also been very uh funky there you know i see what you're saying um so, like, so with that it's sort of like a yeah science says that and they have all this evidence but like are we really gonna believe them right so like, I mean, it's like well, it, what it's, do you want <laughs> it's more of like you know it's sometimes again i think what this is this whole thing is about right and this is why i'm mm -hmm. equating it to it is that there is stuff that is the actual truth. Uh, and in some cases, the truth is maybe only known by a couple of people. Right. Um, and taken to their graves. Uh, or the truth is widely known, but there's always going to be a, for lack of a better term, like a public opinion or a public version of whatever. Um, but it also makes me think of like, you know, uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe, which is also, you mm -hmm. know, like a, a thing that I mean, this I guess I've already mentioned government cover-ups, but like, right? You know, that's a thing where there's the truth, and then there's what happened, right? You know, yeah. Um, and so like what he said is like, I mean, it's like that thing of we all know for sure that this is exactly what happens, right? But like it, like this is one of those things where you go, I know it happened, I just don't have proof, like. Because yeah. we because we can't get proof because things like this happen so right. that we only have quote what happened right right but like yeah. you know like you're trying yeah. to tell me that the that what happened was OJ didn't kill you know like come on we know what the truth is problem is all we have is what happened right you know what I mean yeah yeah for sure it's it becomes a thing of who who do you who is an authority in your life like who can oh. you trust to know what's going on and so many people like you know what it makes me think of that's sort of related to our show a little bit that has what's been that? pissing me off more and more oh okay you no um oh do you okay. know that website that will like put up cast lists with like photos and like Oh my God! Yes. Okay, I was and I've just shared some with you before. That. Yeah, thinking, forgetting that it, it's just speculation. Or wouldn't this be cool? Right. 
Yes. Because it looks so real. And I think it's because they genuinely use, um, I don't know how to describe this, because it's not exactly a gradient, but it's also technically not an actual like picture file. Right. But like the, the backing graphic behind yeah. these pictures is something that Disney actually uses, like yeah. actively uses for like Disney Plus releases and stuff like that. Yeah. So it sucks because for a brief moment, you look at these things. I literally just saw one t- earlier today. I went, I went <gasps> oh, right. Damn it. Right, right. You right. know, and it sucks because you look at that and you go, that would rule, you know, right. but then you go, oh, that's not real. Right. Right. It's, it's, and it's a thing where it's like, now I wish they hadn't posted it at all because I, it makes me not understand when true announcements are happening. Like, the, <laughs> like well, I'm not, yeah, there's that. There, there's that too. But like, then you get people that, you know, that believe onion headlines Right. And, oh and, my you, God, and like yeah. it becomes on one hand, it's like, come on. Right. And on the other hand, it's like, I mean, but how far, you know, it, you know, the world is a weird place. Sometimes things are, you know, as bad religion once coined the original phrase, sometimes truth is stranger than friction. They didn't coin that. But they did say it. Let's talk about Manfredi and women, and then we'll get into some quick segments and get out of here. Unless, yes. hey, I know, have what? Did we talk about your feelings about all this? We did, right? Yeah, beginning? we we yeah. Okay, I mean, okay, it's right, more good. of like instead of me being like, I love this whole episode or whatever. I was just like, let's just start talking about the things that yeah. I enjoyed. So yeah. I mean, not that I disliked it, uh, you know, anything, but like, right. I feel like that's my feelings, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay, good, um, good, good. And speaking of feelings, we had a conversation about this. Yes. Already, like off air, about how yeah. Man Freddie, and it's actually my username today. Yep. Manfredi, weirdly great boyfriend. Yeah. Right? It is incredible, right, that Joe Manfredi, this guy who is like, I will beat the the ever-living shit out of a guy because I egged him into a conversation, right? Right. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm this guy, I'm this horrifying person. And then he turns around and he's like, Nona. Oh, I love you. We're gonna make a gravy. We're gonna do this. We're gonna right. We have this great chemistry, and then turns around and like, you know, the thing about Whitney Frost is that every person has only, or, or you know, her mom, and then like all the men in her life have pretty much always ever only been interested in one thing, and that's her looks, right? Right. There was a moment that we didn't talk about a couple of episodes ago. Where she was balking at going and talking to the uh, the the club, and she's like, "My face, I look like a whatever." And right. and 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 Calvin Chadwick goes over and finds the hat that clearly was made with the dress because it matches perfectly. So it's weird that she didn't know about it. And like, <laughs> he, he gives it to her yeah. and he says, "Try this," and she puts it on and she's like, "This is perfect. Thank you. Oh my god, so much." And it, at the time, it feels like ah. But then when you compare it to Manfredi, who's like, right. live your fucking life. You are a powerful woman. Yes. That was actually what I, I was going to mention, the difference between those two things. Yeah. yeah so covering the, up her face. Versus, the big thing is, yeah. is that, you know, again, she has an insecurity in this moment. Yeah. Now, I will say, to some extent, I also get that you're like, we're about to show them this power. If we walk in looking like this, it's not going to start it off the conversation well. Right. If you want to approach that in that regard, 
perhaps, right? But she had to be out in public hitting on Thompson. I mean, talking True. to Thompson. Right, correct. <laughs> yes, there's there's that as well. Like, <laughs> I, I do understand that if you're like, for the time being, we need to keep up appearances. If right. that's how they framed it, like, that would be different. But sure. What it really comes down to is, is she's like, I can't go look at this. Like, I'm like I'm hideous. I've got this thing, right? And he's just like, I know just how to hide it, right? So, like, he leans into, like, I agree, sort of, you know, like, this is monstrous, like, let's hide it, right? There's a, there's a, I just want to point out just really quickly, there is an argument to be made for he was addressing her anxiety. And that's what you said. Sure, yeah. Like, yeah. instead of, because you could read this, and I have a big uh, gut, like, knee-jerk, sort of anxious close-up shop reaction to this term but you could look at what we're about to say about Manfredi as a little bit of a toxic positivity thing where he's like don't don't be so embarrassed about your face live your life out loud don't cover up your face like when if she was like I'm feeling nervous about my face someone being like you're beautiful stop it like wouldn't be what she's looking for but the way that they play the scene, it doesn't feel like that. It's okay. I I, I know what you're saying. I have yeah. a, it's not exactly a counter, but I have something yeah, yeah. to add to that that I think changes it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the thing though, to me, right, about what happens here is that he is sort of like, let's cover your face. And sure, maybe, like you yeah, said, yeah. maybe he's addressing her anxiety. But it does feel like he is also, like, it doesn't feel like he says, like, let me try this again. What I think that maybe an appropriate response would be is like, like, you know, like, there is no issue with it, whatever. Right, but be like, but if you know, if this is what's going to make you more comfortable, let's right. find something. Right, like talking through it. Right, he seems all too eager to hide <laughs> it because it affects him. Right, and then she's like, "I'll make it up to you later." Right, sexy face, and he's like, "Great, you're going to be dead." <laughs> right. Well, it's also that, and he's also terrified of her. Right. You know, he's not. So, but Manfredi would have been like, make it up to me right now. We'll let's be late. They'll yeah, wait oh, for us. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. <laughs> but like Manfredi is great, though, because like I, what I think is also fascinating is that once she shows her power, everyone becomes terrified of her. He does not. Right. And I think that that's also a huge power thing, too. Yep. Right. Like. And it's not that he thinks that he's better or whatever, right? It's that he's like, no, I genuinely love you and, you know, you love me. We are, like, we are partners. We're equals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I loved you before. I love you right. now. I love like, you now and I'm going to love you after, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, it's it's such a good, like, it's, okay. I understand what you're saying about the, the body, or almost it's, toxic positivity, right? It's, yeah. But- I think it's the same thing about anxiety and stuff like that too, right? Because here's the other thing to consider is he tells her that she's beautiful, but like she starts to be like, you know, I don't believe you. Right. But he doesn't stop at that sentence. He says, right. That, that, that's that mark on your face, that scar is like, it's power. Right. Yeah. And like, he's saying that like, you know, that like he knows also what's important to her. Right. And he's like, and it's not that he's feeding into it just to make her feel better. Right. It's like he genuinely believes that thing that you have there, that's a symbol of your power. That's how powerful you are. And like, it shows it, right? Like why hide that? Why, you know, be someone that you're not like, you don't have to be the Whitney Frost of the films anymore, of the silver screen. Right. You are 
this. Like, you, this is who you are, right? Like, this brilliant, strong, powerful woman. Go do that, you know? Yeah. Um, And, like, it's also, like, I think what's also a, an interesting manner of it is he doesn't say it. But this is also what I feel like he is also saying in this moment. Because it, it, to me, it just it it says it without saying it. When he says that she's beautiful, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're beautiful and everyone will agree with me. I think right. it is that, like, to me, to yeah. me, like, you are beautiful to me. And, like, yeah. that should be the only opinion that matters about right. this, you know? Right. Yeah. And, like, because it feels so genuine with how he addresses it and her, um, you know, and I, I think that that's probably how a lot of, like, I think true love and true situations are, right? Like, yeah. there are people that might not be conventionally attractive, right, that people right. are in relationships with who are still told that they are beautiful or handsome or or what have you on the daily, and it's not that the person who tells them that is wrong. Right. It is, it is that to that person, like, again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Eye right? of the beholder. Exactly. So like yep. that is, I think man, Joe Manfredi is like, you're powerful and that's sexy. You're physically attractive to me and that's sexy. Right. You're smart as hell and that's sexy. Let's go get them, babe. Yeah. You know, and you're like, yeah, exactly. Joe Manfredi, like, like the original hype man, like gassing yeah. up his girl. And he's like, yeah, you get them, babe. Yeah, exactly. If she had an Instagram, he'd be the first like and being like, that's my girl. You know? Yeah, exactly. Avengers Ensemble. All right. We got three quick ones here. Okay. Agent Ryan. I mean, it's this guy that I was thinking of. Christopher Allen, uh, 23. There are 22 other Christopher Allens. He's an agent at SSR. I don't remember... Where we see him in this episode, we do see him in this episode. That's as far as I can go. Uh, is he maybe at the um, at the house for um, for Wilkes? Is he at Wilkes's house? Is Agent Ryan there? Is that where do we do we do the? That's no, that's Vega. No, I know, I know he's there, but is there not an Agent Ryan? Because I there, know we've not. mentioned at one point that 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 there is an Agent Ryan. Maybe someone just names him and doesn't actually. Well, there was there was that thing that the subtitles read Vega wrong. Heard no, Vega I, wrong. I understand that. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, not okay, claiming yeah. that they're the same person. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just thought that there was like an agent at one point when they're walking in or something like that. What are they? I'm. I, I was thinking of the guy that was at the at the engagement party for for Susan, but that yeah. was even that that was earlier. It's it feel. Anyways, 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 anyways. So this guy Christopher Allen plays agent. Um, Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, Agent Ryan, one episode of American Horror Story, one episode of Colony, one episode of Revenge. We move on. Agent Ryan, important character in the upcoming phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Uh, Nota Manfredi is played by an actress named Tina DeMarco. She has mostly been, I think, sort of the grandmother character in, uh, in sitcoms, such as This Fool. You're the Worst, Modern Family, and Gilmore Girls, which isn't technically a sitcom, but isn't it? Um, and uh, This Fool is a, is a show that I'm, I'm sort of interested in watching because it it looks like it, it could be a pretty funny uh, situation comedy with like 
Hispanic culture and like gang culture and gang and people that like council gang members. And, and it looks really good. And uh, I've seen some previews that I'm like, that looks funny. So Nona Man Freddy is played by Tina DeMarco, mostly on sitcoms. Um, other characters, not Nona Man Freddy. Right. Um, and then Nick Driscoll uh, is Jack's friend. I did look up a Nick Driscoll, Nick Driscoll on Marvel Wikipedia um, to no avail. It is an original character. It just feels like a such a weird it's, first name, last name. I think it's the Driscoll part because Driscoll is, feels like such a pointed, yeah. you know, last name. Yeah. It feels like, oh, we should be getting, oh, I see. Yeah. But it, it's not. Um, so this is Damien O'Hare. He's played, uh, I don't think he's played Constantine, but he's on a whole bunch of Constantine stuff. Like DC Showcase, Constantine, The House of Mystery. Uh, he was in the movie, the We Bear Bears movie, We Baby Bears. Um, he was in Cleopatra in Space, uh, Stargirl, which is based on a Jerry Spinelli novel that I really enjoyed and read in one sitting and then haven't thought about since until it came on, on Netflix. It was made into a movie on Netflix or Disney Disney Plus. Um, uh, he was in both the television show and the movie of Constantine City of Demons. Uh, he was in Justice League Action. He played George Washington in Timeless, which is the television program that I really enjoyed that oh, yeah. uh, Chris Ewell knows one of the main actors on. Um, he did additional voices in Assassin's Creed Rogue, Assassin's Creed Battle, Black Flag, which Ooh. is about the punk scene in L.A., uh, Assassin's Creed 3. Uh, uh, he was a voice in The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings. Uh, he was in the movie Pirates of the Car- Caribbean on Stranger Tides. He was in Fable 3, Fable 2, Ooh. Viking Battle for Asgard, and he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which is the first Pirates of the Car- Caribbean or Caribbean, uh, where he played the same character as he played in On Stranger Tides, what a cameo that would be to be five movies in and be like, remember that guy Gillette from the first movie? Here he is again. <laughs> Damien O'Hare back at it again. Unless it's a flashback, maybe. I don't know. And I, I maybe, didn't get that far. I only I got to the first need, two and then I was like, oh, I'm done. Um, I think I got one more in. Uh, and then, then I, yeah. Um, I will so say there's some, level. there's some really good video games listed in there. Fable two was a classic for me. That was back in the Xbox 360 days. I played that game way more than I probably should have because uh, I, I was got, trying to get multiple endings or whatever. Uh, yeah. I got. I saw an advertisement for Fable, the first one, before it came out. I anticipated it. I bought the software for my PC. I immediately made about five bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and it was too much software for my computer because I am notorious for just cramming stuff Everything. into my computer. Yeah. Uh, and then I stopped playing it and never went back. I'm sure I, at some point I probably got rid of the box, but I had, that was, I was so excited about that game and just never did it. That's like an early version of like, or early example of games where like your decisions matter. When you were talking about that the other day, yeah, in the other episode we were doing, that's why I love Fable I, was yeah. over and over and over in my head. I was like Fable, Fable, Fable. Anyways, sorry. Go ahead. And then Assassin's Creed, like you know, love it or hate or whatever. You know, like there's some great games. There's some really fucking bad ones. I love to this day, like probably top ten video games I've ever played. Assassin's Creed Black Flag, 
it's just such a beautiful game. Uh, yeah. Both, I mean, you know, visually it's pretty great, but like some of that story just hits so well. Yeah. And like, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a death in that game that I never would have expected to hit me hard. And like the, every time I've played through it, I get like, I still get choked up. Yeah. And like the first time it was like, not like weeping, but like openly had like falling tears. And I was like, Oh yeah. my God, like was not expecting that, uh, that one to hit that way. And I was like, that's insane. Like, and it was such a good game. Uh, Assassin's Creed is such an interesting and fascinating lore and story. Yeah. Um, I kind of wish we'd get back to some of the roots on it, but you know, can't, yeah, I, I, I recommend it. It's good stuff. I, I, I love the concept of it. Um, just, you know, I love time travel. Yeah. I love sort of historical, like back, Ooh, back. It's not time travel though. Background. It's the fun thing. Right. It, right. But it's like quantum leaping. It's like quantum cool. leaping, which it's is also very dumb. cool. Yeah, it is right. super, super cool. Yeah, it's such a fun concept. Um, I watched the movie uh, Falling Asleep, and so then I was like, ah, I was falling asleep. So I watched no. it again, not falling asleep. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. Uh, I do want to say that... Uh, I, I, let's move into our last segment of the episode. Yes. And that is... Hmm, Marvelicious! So on this episode, we are. Uh, this was the maybe the easiest Marvelicious of all time. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was spaghetti. Made some spaghetti uh, because Manfredi ate spaghetti, uh, and um, yeah, was so it was funny because we kept rescheduling this recording. And so it went from, I don't think we can do spaghetti, but, but we all, we've had a lot of spaghetti, so I can talk about it, to, no, it's perfectly feasible that we can have spaghetti tonight. That's fine. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we did, and I made it, and it was great. I would like to bring this up, because although we don't call it making a gravy, right, because we're, we're Italian, but we're not that Italian, right? Right. Um, we have a family recipe for spaghetti sauce and my mom's side of the family and I'll tell you my favorite thing about it is again like an Italian family though right everyone technically well okay my mom makes it the right way and this is not me saying that like everyone else in the family is wrong because they're not my mom right what I mean is is mom makes it the way grandma made it right uh everyone else does something that's a little different and she's like okay that's fine that's not grandma's spaghetti right you know and everyone's like you know what are you talking about and she's like grandma did not put in sausage into this uh into this one right and we have at least two family members that put in sausage into their stuff and then and and or don't put in chicken for example like you know it's a very specific mix of meats you know there's pork there's chicken and there's meatballs. Huh. Um, and that adds to the flavor, right? And I can't give you all the, the secrets. And I will t- I will tell you this too. This recipe, grandma's spaghetti sauce, is technically not the same as uh, my great-grandmother's sauce. Um, the difference here being was that the Great Depression happened. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, buying 
that many tomatoes and all that other stuff was hard and also expensive. Uh, so the recipe did change a bit. So there are, and also it's faster, you know? Right. So there is a little bit of like, you know, you buy a specific tomato. Uh, okay. This is going to sound weird, right? Cause there's tomato sauce. Like you get, that's like, um, ragu. Sure. Then there's something that is called tomato sauce, but it has sure. no like flavoring in it. It's literally we put it's, tomato it, sauce in our chili. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like that. So it's like kind of halfway between puree paste and a, yeah. paste. Right. Yeah. Um. So it's like there's a very specific one that you get. Uh, which I I once again won't reveal. It's like the Geico commercial, right? It's like it's a little nutmeg. You're it's like, I'm not gonna tell you, right? It's, it's my grandma. It's my, my mother's recipe. It's yeah. my mother's recipe. So I won't tell you the brand. Um, and again, I'm not gonna tell you every little secret. But there's like, you know, so it's like that's a part of it. You know, there's other elements. You know, there's fresh basil stuff like that, right? You know, and this is something that cooks on the stove for like eight hours. You know. Okay. And it is. Uh, you know, because, you know, you, you cook all this meat and you put the meat in and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, things simmer and stuff like that. So there is like some fat, you know, there's some, some, I don't want to say greasy cause that, that makes it sound unappealing, but there right. is some like natural grease sure. in this, right? Sure. Um, and it's enough to probably knock out a goddamn rhino. And yet this is, this is probably genuinely one of the leading causes to my actual weight in my life, <laughs> right? We don't eat it that much. But what right. I will tell you is that at least two times a year, grandma's spaghetti is made. And when that happens on the very first night, because it's like the freshest, I will probably eat minimum a full box of spaghetti on my own. Like, and then I'm like, I am not ashamed of it. I will eat like five meatballs. And we're talking like big meatballs, not like meatball, small. Yeah, you know, like they're like meatballs. I'll have some chicken. You know, I'll have, I mean, I'll have plates of this stuff. Um, and I will just shovel it in until I am uncomfortable. And then I will probably eat more. It is singular, like it is possibly my actual number one favorite meal in this world. And what I am excited about James is I got confirmation literally today that my mother is making some uh this weekend. Nice. And uh I am so excited for it. The only downside is that because I flew into town and didn't drive up is that I can't take any back with me. Right. So I'm going to have to eat my weight in spaghetti this weekend. Uh Saturday, Sunday and Monday to make sure that I get all of my spaghetti needs before I leave. But like, it's, I mean, it's something that like, I, um, I have to be specific, right? Like, I think that at one point in a previous episode, the reason why I'm talking so much about this, and I apologize, but with, uh, my mom, I, I believe I had mentioned at one point, like we've talked about things that our parents made when we were growing up that we didn't love, you know? Yep. And like, you know, and I've, I've mentioned certain things or whatever, you know, that none of that was to put any of either of my parents on blast or whatever, but to be specific, like my mom makes quite a few things that I think are great that I love. There's an, right. there's a specific chicken meal that she makes that I think is amazing. There's a, actually two chicken dishes. One of them is actually funny enough, also kind of like a pasta. Like if you can't make grandma's spaghetti, 
Right. Um, and this one I'll give you for free. It is like, it is so simple. It's like a can of tomato soup, Camel's tomato soup with some milk, uh, some cheese and a couple other ingredients that you simmer down. Um, and then you just put, you know, you, you cook up some chicken and then put it over some, you know, like some far filet or something like that. It's incredible. Um, it's from like a Campbell's recipe place. That's like, uh, just tomato, basil, chicken takes maybe 20, 30 minutes. It's incredible. Good stuff. But anyway, my mom makes stuff like that and I love it and it's all great. I don't think if you combined all of my mom's greatest dishes and like my love and like rating system for them and like stuff like that, I don't think that if you added all of those up together that they would even still come close to grandma's spaghetti. And like, that's not saying that those other things are bad. That is saying that that is how good this spaghetti is. I am obsessed with it. If there was an air freshener that was that sauce, I would be, I would have it in my house every day. I walk around a house all day when it's cooking, just like salivating basically. Cause yeah. you can smell it everywhere. It's the house smells amazing for like a week after it's like, I, there's truly to me, no greater joy, like food wise or like heritage wise, right. For like my mom's side of the family, you know, we don't like do any of like the motherland and you know, all that like, we're not like, we're Italian, but we're we're not like, you know, we're not going on, uh, for lack of a better term, like pilgrimages to the motherland. You know, every you know couple of years, or whatever. But like, it, we're just Italian enough, right? That like, I'll tell you that I think that our Nona's sauce is better than like than your Nona's sauce. You know, uh, and I feel adamantly about that. Um, My Nona's are dead. Well, I mean, so are mine. So you know, <laughs> uh, you know, hey, you know, rest, hey, God rest your soul. No, <laughs> no uh, can, can I white boy this place up a little bit? Uh, as long as you're not like, yeah, we put ketchup on our noodles. Then fine. we don't put ketchup on our noodles. No, no. Um, first, I'm going to tell you what we do because I think that what we do, and then the funny story about what we could have done but didn't is better than the anticlimax of what we do. So uh, I made spaghetti uh, by myself, and it took about half an hour. Um, made the spaghetti, boiled it, whatever. Put um, some meatballs that we get from Target in the microwave. Put Got the oven preheated. Put um, Matt's thing is that he doesn't like spaghetti with garlic bread because those are the, the pasta and bread combinations that he hates the most. So I try and I try and uh, accommodate him by doing the breadsticks he likes with spaghetti, which he likes less than penne. It's a whole thing. Okay. Parenting. <laughs> Put the garlic bre- breadsticks in. They cut. They take five to six minutes. Meatball takes five to six minutes. After all that's done, I put the you know the can of prego in a pot, in a pot. Turn on the thing. It starts bubbling. I try not to burn the shit out of my toes when it when one single like right. splot yeah, goes down. Splots, and I, yeah. I'm not wearing sneakers like I did would have you know four years ago, but you know flip flops where it's like, hey, here's a foot. Yeah, I'm wearing um, flip flops all the time. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So and then you know it's ready. It's great. It's done. It's good. I eat. I like you know. I'll eat. I'll probably go out after we're done and put the rest of the spaghetti on a plate. Put some parmesan on it some oregano you know some italian seasoning some red you know cayenne pepper on it eat that up cayenne pepper 
I put cayenne pepper on like most things. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, we it, it's yeah. I used to put red pepper flakes on most things, but the size of the flakes was frustrating to get out of the thing, and cayenne pepper does what I want it to do uh, quicker. So okay. Um, so that's what we do. It's simple. It's easy. It tastes good. We used to, we used to do put a a pound and then we dropped it back to half a pound of ground beef, like browned ground sure, beef yeah. into the sauce and then mix that in. I felt that the sauce to meat ratio was it's tough. It's a tough balance. It was. I needed more sauce. I was like, this is like eating hamburger and pasta, and that's fine for whatever. Right. So I made the. I made the. I made the, like, can we please not do meat in this? Right. And then we'd used our meatballs for a different meal. And we poured huh. them over for the meatball with the spaghetti thing. And we have not looked back, Colin. We are so pleased with where our spaghetti meal is right now. Mostly because it's quick, it's easy, and much of the household really likes sure. it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's flash back just real quick to Kristen and I are first married. Okay. My mom isn't Italian. I don't think anyone in our family is Italian. We come from <laughs> Scotland and and England and 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 Germany um, for the grand majority. I don't know why my mom had a great had an excellent spaghetti sauce recipe. Um, she, you know my 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 stepdad's family is Italian ish. You know they're up in Syracuse. My grandma comes from Santa Fe, so like she's I don't know. She makes as good as. Oh, are you there? I'm. Uh, I'm. Do you it's a scary thing camera? to. Hear. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it's a scary thing to hear on a Zoom, though. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a good point. I'm sorry. <laughs> the way you just froze and looked at me, I was like, "Come on, James. You know this." If you'd said my old friend, I might have. I might have picked it up quicker. Mm, but uh, I understand. You went third verse, and I appreciate that. Um, it's because you know what it is. It's the audition cut, and it's the fair, one that everyone knows. Fair, fair, fair. fair. Everyone, um, so okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're a theater like major or whatever, I feel like you're going for that one before you go in on other ones. Fair, um, uh, so my you know, my grandma made uh, as good a chili riano or like a as like a managotti, managot. She always right. she coached me on how to say it. This white Midwestern kid, like, okay, thanks, okay, grandma, I'll say it like that. Um, and well, now don't I feel you weird know, for man, goat. Man, a goat is it? Is there real goat in it? Um, I wasn't that Midwestern. Um, oh yeah. So my mom had this great spaghetti sauce, and so I was like, "Mom, I'm going to." In- I didn't say this part, but in my head, I was like, "I like the spaghetti sauce. We're gonna have a house of our own. I can make a recipe. What's the recipe?" My mom went a step further, Colin. She not only gave me the recipe, which I will say involves both red wine and grape jelly. Um, okay. She got us a bottle of red wine specifically, like a little tiny bottle of red wine specifically to use for the the spaghetti sauce. Years later, when we were dumping out the uh, bottle of red wine or giving it away or whatever, um, it dawned on me that that was too big of a recipe uh, to have given us. Like, it involved much of the same, like, and then you stir it for a while, and then yeah. you pour the stuff in, and then you stir it for a little more, and then you pour the stuff in. You got to let it simmer and all this stuff. 
I feel bad though because like I think about that spaghetti sauce and I'm sort of sort of like you where I'm like I can smell that up in my room on a Sunday night and I know yeah. that we're not having like steak or lemon chicken or whatever. <sighs> right. I know we're having spaghetti and I'm like yes. And so uh, the answer or the, the in conclusion my mom's spaghetti was really really good. I don't know how long it's been since she's made it or if she has the recipe anymore. She may have given us the recipe. I don't know. I don't know. Probably she didn't. That that wouldn't make sense. But anyways, we make it as as quick and dirty as you can possibly do. Um, but now I'm really, really itching to try uh, your family's spaghetti sauce because that sounds delish. Uh, the next time I'm back up in town, I'll have to see if, uh, if uh, Ma will make some more spaghetti. Uh, and if we can, you know, get get old Jamesy up here. Absolutely. Old Jamesy. Colin, that's all I have. Surprisingly, just that little bit is all I have for this episode. Just that little bit for this one hour, 45 minute episode. <laughs> Do you want to take us out west and uh, and quickly sort of take the express train out to Santa Fe, which doesn't go to Santa Fe? Yeah, absolutely. I want to do a recommendation. Um, yep. And so, uh, listen, I know I've mentioned it in... Kind of, and I also don't know if it's going to make the cut uh, of this episode or not. I mean, not for this one. I mean, in, of the other episode or whatever that I mentioned this in. Uh, so I want to give you a recommendation for another thing to watch. Okay. Oh. Um, and uh, I want to be very specific about it, right? Because there's there's technically two editions of the same show to some extent. Okay. Right. But I want what I want you to watch first and foremost is on Disney Plus, right? Is I want you to just type in Mickey Mouse, right? There is a show that will look like it's old, I think, when you're first looking at that art, but yep. you'll recognize soon that it's not. It's from 2013 to 2018, five seasons. All the episodes are like you know under 10 minutes. In fact, I think they're all, I think they're all under seven, or most yeah. of them are. Um, because technically, the first series was nothing but shorts, and the reason that you know that is because half of them don't even have like dialogue, or if right. they do, it's like two or three lines. Um, the follow up to that is to go watch the 2020 series, uh, the Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse, which mm -hmm. is basically the same show, but now like fully fledged episodes, and it's only had one season so far. And I need them to bring it back because I need more. Um, the first episode of that one called Cheese Wranglers is honestly one of my favorite things I think I've ever watched. And I've watched it like three times uh, in the last month uh, alone. It's uh, It just genuinely brings me so much joy. Um, it's a great show. They have a bunch of like holiday specials as well from this same world. Uh, yep. Duck the Halls is ungodly funny. I watched that four or five times this last month as well. It is just such a good series. And I'm saying that to you because we talk about a lot of stuff that you can find on Disney Plus on this show. Yeah. Uh, and I want you to recognize that I'm a full grown man. Uh, and I also still watch cartoons that are made for children. Um, I'm going to let you in on one more little secret. I'm 31. I'm going to be hitting 32 very soon. Uh, I'm a single man. I don't have kids. I have watched every episode of Bluey. 
That show I've is heard genius. nothing but good things. It's genius. I'm going to be honest with you. It's so good. I know that you're going to be like listening to the show and like you're, I don't know, um, Jeffrey Williams, age 27 in uh, Kentucky, and you're listening to the show and you're going, what could I possibly get out of watching Bluey or, you know, Mickey Mouse? And to that, I'll tell you, uh, nothing but laughter and like yeah. genuinely a good time. Um, Disney Plus. Uh Please give us money. Uh, that is it for this show. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Uh, we will catch you all next time. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Oh, that was so bad. Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.